This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Zorro.com. Zorro.com is where you'll find everything you need for businesses of any size and almost any industry. They have tools, equipment, and supplies for everything you need, whether you need stuff for industries like electrical, plumbing, contracting, manufacturing, or more. Zorro's got it from brands you know and trust. And Zorro.com offers amazing customer service from real people based in the U.S. If you'd like to try this out, go to Zorro.com slash manliness in all lowercase letters. Zorro.com slash manliness to sign up for Zmail and get 15% off your first order. Zorro.com slash manliness, sign up for Zmail and get 15% off your first order. Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Over 10 years ago, I read the book Getting Things Done by David Allen and I've been using the tactics and strategies that he laid out in the book in managing tasks and well, getting things done ever since. David's out with a new workbook to accompany his classic bestseller and I have the pleasure to speak with him today about his philosophy and system for managing life. We begin our conversation discussing how David came up with the GTD system in the first place and how it differs from other time management systems out there. David then explains what the mind like water mantra is about and how the GTD system helps you clear your head. We then dig into the specific steps of getting things done, including capturing ideas, clarifying tasks into action, organizing these actions, reflecting on your action list, and of course, taking action. This is a time management system I can personally endorse, so if you're not familiar with it or have fallen off the GTD wagon, I recommend giving this show a listen. After it's over, check out the show notes at aom.is GTD. All right, David Allen, welcome to the show. Brett, delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So you are the author and the creator of Getting Things Done. I've been using it for over a decade. It's changed the way I manage myself. And I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with the, the method in the book. Before we get into that, can you tell us about the origin of this system? I and mean, this has become a phenomenon around the world. How did it get started? Where did you start piecing together the idea of what would become Getting Things Done? Well, I was deeply involved in my own sort of self-development process back in the 60s, 70s. You know, I was in Berkeley, California. I mean, come on, that was a lot of what we were doing was sort of exploring ourselves. So I was, I got involved in the personal growth movement, uh, you know, got involved in some really elegant, you know, experiential training about that stuff. And so some of the pieces that, that were 20, 30 years later to become GTD or part of the, you know, the methodology as I finally described it in the book started there a lot of it about agreements you know how do you manage what happens when you keep don't keep an agreement with others and with yourself so some of that started there and there were also we started to do some some sort of productivity trainings you know as best we could around that and you know a lot about open loops what happens when you make a commitment that you can't complete yet or what happens when you when you do finish a commitment that's that's open so some of the sort of early pieces of that were components of you know, part of the sort of larger, you know, sort of gestalt of the of the personal growth movement. So I, I got familiar with some of those things. Ultimately, after lots of different jobs and not knowing what I wanted to do, I became a consultant and started to work with you know people who seemed to know what they wanted to do. And I came in and helped them sort of work their own process. I'm a lazy guy. I just walk in and say, you know, how can we make this easier? So now they call that process improvement. I just said, you know, how much easier can I not have to work? And uh, then I'd help my friends with their businesses sort of 
get up to speed, get under cruise control, and I get bored, go somewhere else. Then I discovered they pay people to do that. They call them consultants. So sort of hung out my own shingle in 1981, started my own consulting practice. And then I got very attracted to what are kind of models that I could use if it wasn't clear how to help somebody that might want to bring me in as a consultant. What could I access? What could I pull out of my hip pocket as a, as a model of stuff to walk people through a process that would improve no matter who they were or what kind of business they had or whatever. So I was always hungry for what were the sort of the prime or primary or the essential elements to, you know, productive, to being in the productive state where you had maximum space, maximum clarity, maximum efficiency with whatever you were doing. So I got hungry for that, but also given my work in the personal growth world and the, you know, my own spiritual practices and explorations, meditation, got a black belt in the martial arts and karate. And so a lot of that had a lot to do with clear head. So I also was very attracted to how do you keep your head clear so you can stay focused on all the cool stuff. So, it, you know, my life wasn't broken, you know, I, but I started to experience and, and explore some of the techniques I was discovering. I had a couple of great mentors that taught me other pieces of this. And uh, I said, well, that worked for me, helped keep me clear, turned around, used those techniques with my clients that worked for them too, without fail. Well, that's pretty good. And then somebody in the big corporate world saw what I was doing and said, wow, we need that in our whole culture, stability, control, accountability, you know, senior and professional people being able to manage themselves well. So they asked me if I could design a training around what I'd uncovered as these best practices, a series of these practices. So I did that, and it worked very well. It was very successful. And so in 1983, 84, I did that for Lockheed and, and Burbank in California. And it worked so well, I was found myself thrust into the corporate training world. It's like, God, you could have fooled me. You know, I was an American cultural history major in, in my graduate school studies in Berkeley in 1968. If you'd told me I'd be in the corporate training world, <laughs> I said, <laughs> what are you smoking? You know, come on, give me a break. But I found out that was the audience that was quite hungry for what I had uncovered because that was the beginning of the tsunami of email and, 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 and the digital world and the input that people were dealing with and, and the speed of change was speeding up and so people couldn't rest on their laurels anymore. And so there was a lot more need and a beginning awareness and need, I think, in the, in the, certainly in the, in the major business and corporate world for how do people stay focused and, and in control. And sort of time management kind of hit a buzz in the in the 80s 1980s so i kind of rode that wave and that's where it all started really was me just sort of building a bit of a boutique you know consulting and training practice with a partner or two you know that that just trying to fulfill a need that showed up i, I didn't really know what i'd come up with i've never taken a traditional or formal time management or business or 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 psychology class in my life this was all street smarts you know, that I discovered for that. So, so a lot of what I had been doing sort of, you know, consulting to, you know, friends who were running their own businesses and so forth that became sort of coaching in the, in the, in the corporate world with the, the clients that were starting to, you know, bring us in to do trainings for lots of people, but their senior people wanted to know how to do this one-on-one. So I spent, you know, basically spent thousands and thousands of hours one-on-one -on -one desk side with some of the smartest and brightest and busiest people you'd ever meet, actually implementing, you know, refining and implementing this, what became the sort of getting things done methodology. But it, again, Brett, it took me 25 years to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique and nobody else seemed to have done it. So that's when I wrote the manual and that's when the book 
you know, getting things done came out in 2001. So there's a very short version of a very long story. So No, well, I think it's interesting. I loved hearing that because I love the idea that you didn't know where this was going. You didn't have an end goal, right, with this. You just No, I was just trying to maintain. I just wanted a good job. I just was like, oh, my God, they like what I'm doing. Well, good. You know, what can I do next? Who, who wants me to come back and do something else? And I've not been very entrepreneurial or aspirational, and that's... I was more of a researcher, you know, and educator than than anything else. I just liked to sort of create my own, be able to maintain a, at least a boutique kind of, you know, a career that, that could support my lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's useful for particularly young people who are starting off in their careers. They think they have to have it figured out right right from the get go. And here's an example of it. You know, twenty five years, but you found something that's you know fantastic. And I don't know how to tell anybody else to do that. You know, I just sort of uncovered it, you know, as I came along and just kept staying the course with what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, you know, and, and keep doing a good job with whatever was in front of me and then seeing what showed up next. What's the next action? We'll talk about that, right, uh, <laughs> yeah. here in a bit. So, but for those who aren't familiar with GTD, what, what makes it different from other time management or productivity methods? So, as you said, you, this kind of started picking up in the 80s where you saw a lot of uh, you know, the, the, the timekeeper, the Franklin Covey stuff started coming out. What made yours different from that stuff? Well, this methodology is more about not what you should be doing, but what are you doing and where are you? So, it, it kind of got rid of the shoulds. It just said, how do you get control of where you are? And what is it that gets you to be clear in your head? about the complex world that you're dealing with and all the inputs that you're dealing with and so forth. And so, you know, this stuff is, it, it kind of starts with where you are, not with where you should be. So that's one difference. You know, don't worry if about the long-term goals or vision or your life purpose if your toilet needs cleaning, you know, or if you're, if you need cat food and you can't, and you're not managing that well, you know, come on. So if your day-to-day is out of control, don't even try to think about the future because all it'll do is frustrate you, you know, create guilt. You know, so a lot of this was about how do I get control of where I am right now? How do I get it stable? How do I get clear right now with, with the things that I've already committed to that are already sort of running around in my ecosystem? And how do I manage that? I think that's one difference. And, you know, the major focus here was to, to have a clear head, not to achieve necessarily in a result. I mean, this, you know, kind of the big secret, Brett, about getting things done is it's not so much about getting things done. It's about being appropriately engaged with your world so you're present with whatever you're doing. You know, how present are you when you're cooking spaghetti or is your mind on the two meetings you screwed up, you know, this afternoon? You know, how, how present are you with watching your, your girl play soccer versus being on your iPhone trying to do emergency scanning to keep track of all the stuff that may be falling through a crack? So, you know, a whole lot of it is, is like people live, trying to live a busy life and trying to stay clear and present, you know, with the quality of whatever it is they're doing, you know? It doesn't matter whether it's personal, professional, big or little. It's what, whatever you're doing at any point in time that you could be optimally available for it. That's really what the objective of this was. And I don't know any other time management course that kind of frames it that way or even gives you the tools to do that. Well, this idea of being clear, this is a mind like water, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, the idea of water, I mean, I think Bruce Lee's sensei sort of turned him onto that. I kind of stole it from the martial arts. But the idea is that water is appropriately engaged with whatever it's doing. And it could be, though it seems to be fairly weak and flexible, it could be extremely powerful. So the whole idea is building in the flexibility of water, but also the the capability of being as powerful as water is and not over or underreacting anything. Water is appropriately engaged with its environment, whatever it is. 
But if you take one meeting to the next in your mind, or you take home to work in your mind or work to home in your mind, you're not in a mind like water state. Yeah, these are open loops, right? It's those, those things that aren't finished, so you keep thinking about it in your head, so you can't be present in whatever it is yeah. you're doing. and your head is a really crappy office. I mean, we know now, given the, the, the cognitive science research that's shown up in the last 10 or 15 years, something I discovered 35 years ago, but they've now validated that, that your head can't manage more than four things in terms of remembering, reminding, and prioritizing, and managing relationships between them. Your brain did not evolve to do that. It does not do that very well. Your brain evolved to do some very sophisticated stuff to keep you alive on the savanna and the desert and the jungle. You recognize that's a tiger, that my kid's crying, there's a thunderstorm, there are berries in that bush. You do that very well, and computers can't even do that yet. So your brain is doing some fabulous stuff, and yet you go to the store for lemons, and you come back with six things and no lemons. You know What happened? Well, you tried to use your head as your office, and it's a crappy office. It wasn't designed to do that. So a whole lot of what cognitive science is now validated is the need to build an external brain. You know, in the complex world we live in of things that, that you're committed to that you can't finish in the moment you think of them, then you need to keep track of that in some sort of externalized form. Otherwise, it's going to take up brain space and prevent you from doing what your mind is really good at doing. So you only have a certain amount of space in your head, but the more that you fill it up with those open loops that you're not managing really well, then you don't have room for intuitive intelligence. Yeah, I thought that was interesting in the re-release of Getting Things Done in 2015. You have a whole section about the cognitive science that sort of backs up what mm-hmm. you've been talking about, and I thought that was really useful. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, nobody's got a lock on the truth. We just all sort of discovered it in our own ways about how that works. So let's talk about this external mind. Right, because I think we've all, I think a lot of people have experienced that. That's how bills get unpaid. That's how you know you miss, you, you forget that there's a parent-teacher conference because you try to keep this stuff in your head. So GTD is all about getting that stuff outside of your head and and processing it in an appropriate way so it doesn't get lost. So let's kind of walk through GTD for those who aren't familiar, sort of the the, the framework of it. Uh, the first sure. step is capture, um, and that's that's an important process because a lot of people don't yeah. think about it. What does capture look like? Well, they're actually sort of, you know, part A and part B. Part A is recognizing what's got your attention. You know, where's your mind? Anybody listening to this, even in the short term, you know, I've been talking, you probably had their mind go somewhere else. Where is that? Where'd it go? About what? Something is not on cruise control. So just identifying, this has got my attention. Should I get divorced? Should I get buy cat food for the cat? Do I need to give, give the kids karate lessons? Do I hire a VP of marketing? Oh my God, I just got a new project. You know, yeah, yeah, my tooth hurts, right? So any of those things that pop into your head are because there's something that some part of you thinks you might, would, could, should, ought to decide or do something about them. So first of all, recognizing that you have those thoughts or that those things are out there that are not on cruise control. And then part B is write it down. Capture it, cat food, tooth, VP marketing, divorce, you know, and all that. Just write it down. Get it out of your head in some sort of a external form, you know, some sort of trusted bucket. For me, for ninety-eight percent of the time, I just write a note and then throw it in my own entry. Right. So, you know, as we're talking, if something pops into my head, I've got a pen and paper right here. I just write it down and then just tear it off and throw it into my entry. So my head had an idea. And then, but I couldn't do anything about it. I, actually, I don't even want to. If I'm focused on talking to you, I don't want to have to try to think about what does that mean. I just grab the idea. Later on, sooner than later, I will then walk through steps two and three. As you know, they're 
you, you don't just leave it in the entry. You then need to make some decisions about it. You also say you can capture things digitally. So for example, I use the Todoist app on my phone and laptop to capture things. And there are other ways to capture things digitally if that's your preference. And those can work as long as you work them. You know, good ideas and inspirations and I would, could, should autos, they'll come and they'll go. They come and you better grab them when they come because, you know, you'll forget what you forgot, you know, very soon, the way the brain works. So training yourself to capture potentially good ideas, potentially useful things, that's actually something you need to train yourself to do. It doesn't happen automatically. Right. And I've noticed as, as I started to do that, like just start capturing thoughts, like my brain gives me more thoughts because it's like, uh-huh. it like trust, like, hey, you're actually going to do something. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's my brain's actually thinking that, but it, it like, there's like, they, they trust that I can, I'll do something about it. And, and so I, I don't know, I feel like I generate more thoughts as I capture them. You can, there's an end to that. At some point, you know, if you sat down and actually wanted to implement this fully full process. It may take you one to six hours to actually capture all the things that have your attention until they stop. They will stop, by the way. And that's what that's you want to get to that point, right? That's the whole mind like well, water. Well, that would be the ideal. Right. If you really want to get to mind like water in a clear head, you better get everything out of your head that's banging around in there that's not finished yet that you might want to do or decide something about. And one of the powerful tools of this capture is it's a systematic you know, mind sweep that I've been doing for over a decade and it's amazing what's come from that MindSweep. Yeah. Well, MindSweep can take on a lot of forms. I mean, for those of you who are not familiar with GTD, this is basically saying, look, write down anything that's on your mind. Anything that's on your mind. Little, big, personal, professional, doesn't matter. It's not a commitment to do them. All you're doing is trying to empty RAM inside your head. You're empty the short-term memory thing. Just get all of that. Oh, I need cat food. Oh, I should do this. Oh, what about that? that class I might want to give my three-year-old so he can get into Harvard. You know, God knows, you know, how many things people think about that are possibles and, you know, that, that, that they might want to decide or do something about. A great movie somebody recommends. You know, here's the person you might want to hire, you know, as your accountant. You know, all, all that stuff. Anything that shows up in any conversations and any interactions you have in your world out there, that can't be finished in that moment, that's the stuff you need to capture. And so there's a lot of that stuff. So if you really wanted to be clear, you need to make sure that you've captured all that so that some part of you doesn't go to bed and go, what am I going to do about it? 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 If you only keep it in your head, that place has no sense of past or future. And so it'll wake you up at three o'clock in the morning. I need cat food or I need a new business plan. Same space. Right. <laughs> and they'll just, they'll just yank your change, you know, kind of, like get random ad hoc moments when you can't do spit about either one of them, which is really stupid. So you need to get smarter than your mind. And most people are letting their minds run them as opposed to, wait a minute, you have a mind, you are not your mind. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. So whenever you've written style content on theartofmanless.com or have had style guests on the podcast, they've all said that you need to have at least one suit in your wardrobe because you're going to wear it to job interviews, weddings, funerals, or just an event where you need to wear a suit. Now, you can go to the department store, buy something off the rack, and you can tailor it a bit, but there's some parts of that thing you're not going to be able to tailor, so it's not going to fit you just right. Plus, you don't get to customize it how you want it to look. But what if I told you you can spend about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at the department store and get a custom made-to-measure suit? Well, you can at Indochino. 
Here's how it works. You go to Indochino.com. You get to pick out how you want your suit to look, customize everything, how the pockets look on the jacket, how the lapels look, whether you want cuffs, no cuffs, pleats, no pleats. Then you follow their easy to follow measuring guide, send in the measurements. In a few weeks, you have a custom made to measure suit sent directly to your door and you're paying about the same price you'd pay for an off the rack department store suit. I've got my navy blue suit from Indochino. Been wearing a lot lately at church on Sundays. Looks great, fits great, fit me like a glove. Right now, you can start your style upgrade with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more when you go to Indochino.com and enter manliness at checkout. Plus shipping is free. So go to Indochino.com, promo code manliness. You're going to get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. This is an incredible deal for made to measure clothing. Go check it out. Indochino.com, promo code manliness. Also by Flint Tinder, exclusively at Huckberries. Fall's almost here. It's time to bust out those classic fall staples, denim, Henleys, button-down Oxfords, hoodies, and you can find all this stuff at Huckberry.com with their Flint and Tinder line. Flint and Tinder, my whole wardrobe is pretty much Flint and Tinder at this point. I've got Henleys, I've got tees, I've got button-down Oxfords from them. I got my cool trucker jacket that I'm ready to bust out when it starts cooling off a bit. All of it's made in the USA. It's going to last you a lifetime. Plus, they got their 10-year hoodie, my favorite hoodie. I've had it for, I think, five years. I'm going like halfway through the 10-year hoodie guarantee. Check it out. Go to Huckberry.com. Check out the Flynn Tinder link. It's very prominent there. Use code ART15 at checkout to get 15% off your first purchase from Huckberry. So Huckberry.com, ART15 for your 15% off your first purchase and check out the Flynn Tinder line. You won't regret it. And now back to the show. Right. No, yeah. So you have a trigger list on your website, uh, mm-hmm. sort of like, so to get people thinking about the things they can you know, get out of their minds. So it's like, you know, what stuff do you have around your house you need to fix? Who do you need to call back? What stuff do you have to do at work? What appliances do you need? Like I go through that every week and do sort of a mind dump and it's, yeah, good for you. it's been really useful. So, okay. We, we get this stuff all out of our mind. We're going to write down thoughts, put them in an inbox. We're going to have our a digital inbox. We're going to put bills in this inbox. We're going to just capture it all in one place. The next step is clarify. What does that look like? Well, you can write down light bulb. What are you going to do about the light bulb? You know, do you need to buy it? Do you just need to change it? Do you need to figure out, do you need to go look and see what the wattage is in the old bulb that burned out on the porch? You know, what's the next thing you need to do? And most people actually keep avoiding, most people avoid that next action decision. So it's really clarifying what exactly these things that have your attention, you know, what's the nature of them? The very simple algorithm and the book I elucidate on that, and you can find that in multiple places out there. It's a pretty simple formula. It's just like, well, wait, first of all, whatever you wrote down, whatever you've captured, whatever you've thrown into your entry, is it actionable? Is it something you're committed to move on or not? Yes or no? And we get a lot of things, both in our email and our physical you know, mailbox and so forth, that there's no action on it. But you need to decide what that is. By the way, junk mail does not tell you it's junk mail. Have you noticed? Right. It's telling you this is important. You need to pay attention to this. Right. So you're the one who actually makes need to make a decision about these inputs that you get wherever you've collected these inputs that you've allowed to come into your ecosystem in some way. Your own notes as well as you know stuff piling up in social media and email and, and your physical inboxes and, and mailboxes. Right. So you need to decide what is that. If it's non-actionable then it's either trash, reference material, or something to hold on till a you know a later date to make a decision about it. So, you know, that's a clarification of the non-actionable things is either something I don't need or something I need to just hold on to to refer to later potentially, or something I need to be reminded of at some later date. 
And then if it is actionable, oh, there is something I need to do about this or I want to do about this. Then you need to decide two very important questions to answer. One is what's, what's the very next action you would need to take? You know, you wrote a note about mom. Great. Why'd you write the note? Well, her birthday's coming. Great. What are you going to do about her birthday? What's the next step? Oh, God. You know, I should probably call my sister what she thinks about we should do about mom's birthday. Great. Now you've made a next action decision. And by the way, will that one action calling your sister finish whatever your commitment is? No, we want to, we want to celebrate mom's birthday. Fabulous. Now you have a project. So there are two things you need to ask and answer about the things that have landed on your plate that are actionable. What's the action and what's the outcome? Action and outcome are the zeros and ones of, of productivity thinking. What are we trying to accomplish and how do we allocate resources or reallocate them to make, this, make sure that happens? But that thinking does not show up automatically. As a matter of fact, most people listening to this right now, if you're listening to this right now, pull out your to-do list if you have anything like that and look on that list and what you're likely to not see are actions and outcomes. You might, you know, you might have written down, just call your brother, wish him a happy birthday. Maybe that's the next step. But likely what you're going to see are things that still need a decision made about, well, what exactly are you going to need to do to move the needle on that to get to closure or resolution on, or clarity on what that thing is? And oh, by the way, what's the outcome you're committed to complete that you need to keep track of until you can complete it? And that's the cognitive muscle that actually people need to train. That's the clarify step. And it's very, very powerful. Trust me, you know, Brett, I've spent thousands of hours with some of the best and brightest and most sophisticated people on the planet, walking them through that exercise about all the stuff they dumped out of their head the day before. And they haven't done it yet. And that's the big problem because what happens is then it's that stuff spins around and keeps spinning around in there. If you haven't finished your thinking about what it means, what does done look like and what does doing look like and where does it happen? So, Interestingly, that I, you know, I discovered or uncovered or recognized that that was the thought process you have to apply to these things to be able to get them off your mind without having to finish them. And this is where, do you think this is where a lot of people mess up getting things done when they try to implement it? Like they, they don't mm-hmm. properly clarify or describe what they're trying to do. Sure. They write down set meeting. I go, well, how are you going to set the meeting? Well, I could send them an email. I could follow them. I could talk. Yeah. If you haven't decided that, you haven't finished your thinking. And some part of you is still spinning in there called, how do I set that meeting every time you look at that list? So you can change your mind. Go, look, just decide what's the very next physical, visible activity you would need to do about mom's birthday, about increasing your credit line, about handling the tooth that aches, you know, or hiring the VP of marketing. What's the very next thing you need to do if you had nothing else to do in your life but move that to closure? Where would you go right now? What would you do? Surf the web, send an email, draft ideas, talk to somebody. What would you need to do? And most people actually avoid that decision until the heat forces them to make it. And one of the the powerful rules that come out of this process is the two-minute rule. So as you're going through and you're saying, okay, is this actionable? And then one of the questions you can ask yourself if the answer is yes is, well, can I do this right now? Yeah. And you just do it. Yeah. Two minutes or less. And that was just a kind of a rough estimate of, that's pretty much the dividing line where... If it takes less than two minutes to do it, it would take you longer to, to organize it and review it later than it would be to finish it right then. So that's why that's there. And what you don't want to do is go run down some rabbit trail of something when you have other potentially more important or significant things sitting in your in baskets and in, in your in your email. Uh, 
before you start spending you know extra time on something that may not be the most important thing to spend time on right now but the two-minute rule that's yeah it's great i've had people tell me that was worth the price of admission just that changed their life it's the two-minute rule so we've, we've you clarify now you have these these tasks that maybe okay you you found, figure out the ones you could do in two minutes or less you do those but there's some tasks that okay you can't do them now how do you how do you right. organize that stuff so that you continue to keep the loop closed and it's not just spinning there in the your your brain? Well, once you clarify the nature of these things, you don't need a really complex system. You need to keep track of the projects you have. So a project list is really important. You need to keep track of your own actions you need to take about the projects or any single actions, and those could be on simple one simple actually two lists. Your calendar has some things you need to do. The specific thing, the next thing you need to do is go to the meeting on Monday at two o'clock, and that's on your calendar. That's fine. But if the next thing you need to do is actually to do some research before you go to that meeting, then that's a next action you need to put on some sort of a next action list. So you've got a project list, you have, a, and you have your actions you need to take, which will either go on a calendar or on a next action list you could do in and around your calendared items. And then a fourth list called waiting for things you're waiting on to come back from somebody else. And essentially, if you have a fairly simple life or lifestyle, those four lists can handle pretty much everything. Now, the the non-actionable things, obviously, you need a trash, some way to trash stuff, and you need a reference system, both digital and paper-based, so you can put stuff that's just referenced somewhere so you can find it later. And you need some sort of a of a what we call a tickler system or an on hold or an incubate system that will let you say i don't you know this cultural event that i just got a mail about i might want to go to it's two two months from now this Bach concert at the concert hall but i've got so many pending things but i might want to go to it remind myself in a month that'll give me time to get tickets so you need some sort of a system that's going to give you that sort of ping back you know whether digitally or in a, in a physical tickler file or bring forward file where you can see that kind of stuff. But that's about it. You don't need, in terms of categories, those are the primary categories that you need to have to organize the results of your decision-making about what you need to be reminded of and what you need to have access to in the appropriate context. Where that gets more complex is most people have 100 to 200 next actions aside from their calendar. So, you know, what happens if you've got a fairly complex life, you may find it, as I have, much easier to sort your next actions into various contexts. I have an, an errands list of my actions that need to be taken when I'm out and about. I have a list of actions of things to talk to my wife about when she and I get time to talk about the business of life stuff. I have a list of things to do in terms of creative writing on my computer. That's a separate list. So I, I've sorted those into things because I can't do all of those at, at, at any one time, and I can't even don't even have the possibility to run errands if I'm not out doing errands. So I've, I've then sorted my action list into some subcategories. But it doesn't have to be that complex, but it is sophisticated enough to be able to manage a pretty sophisticated life. The, the distinction between projects and actions, that, was, that took me a while to figure out mm-hmm. when I first started working with GTD, because what I would do is I would just create actions. But it, like, like you said earlier about the example of mom's birthday, right? You can say mom's birthday. Well, there's going to be a lot of actions you have to take to get to that completed thing. So that, that, that took me a while to figure out. But once I did, it, it helped out a lot to figure, okay, this, if it requires multiple steps, it's a project. And just yeah. create a project folder and you have your little list of actions to create that project or to finish that project. <laughs> 
And, and, and by the way, Brett, given that definition, most people listening to this have somewhere between 30 and 100 projects if they include personal and professional. Right. Like even something like cleaning out your attic or basement isn't just a single action. Yeah. Go up there and start, but you probably are going to have that as a project because you make, oh, well, I have to give those things away. We have to get boxes so that we can do those. We need to digitalize our photographs in that box. You may find a whole lot of other things there. So it is tricky business to kind of say, what actually do we actually call a project? You know, most people listening to this probably have a body project, fix a tooth, you know, uh, check your, you know, see how your blood level is right now, given cholesterol, whatever, Uh, get a checkup that you've been avoiding, you know, X, Y, and Z, or God knows, you know, whatever all those things are. I need to look into this sprained ankle that's just not healing. Maybe I should go figure out how to handle that. Those are projects because you have at least a phone call to make or at least a web surf to do to find out, well, what might I do next? And you couldn't, that's not going to finish whatever this is. So whatever it is you can't finish in one sitting or kind of in one call that's obvious, that's a project. So the final steps after you've clarified your information, organized those tasks and projects is to reflect and engage. What what does that yeah. look like? Well, you're going out for errands. What do you want to do? <laughs> look at the errands you've come up with and decide which ones you're going to run. You know, you got a list of stuff to talk to your partner about in your business, right? You're, you're, you've got the meeting coming up. Take a look at the list you've created and say which ones are the most important that we deal with if we have a short period of time. It could also be reflect. It could be at any of the levels of commitments. I mean, the other aspect of, of getting things done is identifying the multiple horizons that we have commitments. And there's six of them. You know, the, the top level, what's it, why are you on the planet? What's your purpose and your core values? And then you have what's your vision of doing that successfully? And then you have what are the things you need to accomplish to make the vision happen? Then you have all the things you need to maintain, you know, to make sure all that works and keep going toward that in a balanced way. Then you have all the projects about all that stuff. And then you have all the actions you need to take. I couldn't get any simpler, you know, than this, Brett, over these 35 years. There are six horizons. We actually have all of these commitments. So reflecting could be how often do you need to reflect if you've got a life partner? How often do you folks need to think about where you're going in your life in terms of career and lifestyle? Where do you want to be five years from now? What's pulling or pushing on you that thinks you might want to change it? You know, if you say, if you've got a job that just changed, you know, how clear are you with you and any potential boss or partners about your job description and your accountabilities? So there are a lot of these commitments at, at multiple levels that need to be reviewed and reflected so you can feel comfortable about both your priorities and as well as what are the appropriate projects I need and actions I need to take, you know, to maintain all those things. So this is not quite a, you know, most people have a much more complex life than they realize. So don't shoot the messenger, guys. I'm just letting you know all those things are going on. So when you say reflect, yeah, reflect on what? Reflect on the 35 projects you have? Yeah, once a week you ought to. Reflect on where you need to be this afternoon? Yeah, check your calendar. <laughs> That's good reflection. You know, reflect on you know how you're trying to manage the strategic plan you have and the operational plan you have in your company. Right. So is that a quarterly review, monthly review? Is that a... You know, how often do you need to look at that? So reflection just says step back, step up at some level to be able to look at another level of game in terms of locating yourself in space and time. So then you move to step five so that whatever you decide to do this afternoon, whether that's take a nap, have a beer, you know, draft the plan, uh, deal with the ugly email that's staring at you in your, in, in your end basket. You know, uh, that's that, then you do that from that context. And, and this also is where the, the weekly and daily review comes in. This is where you 
you figure out, you know, you do that step back on a weekly basis. What, what am I doing with these projects? Is it pushing me forward where I want to go? And then, yeah. yeah even, should, I have, should I even have that project? Right. That, and that's, an, that's an important, because I think sometimes people think like they, if they put something on a list, it means they have to do it. Not so. You can change yeah, your mind. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have an inspiration and then two, three days later you go, you know, too much wine or, you know, that was dumb or, you know, no, given all the other things I have on my plate. And by the way, if people don't have a complete project list, they'll always overcommit. Yeah, no, that's true. I've seen an exception to that. But once you have a complete list of all the commitments you have, the, the word N-O is going to come a little easier to you. That, that's, that's, that's a good point because I think a lot of like people I know of myself and I don't know exactly what's going or I don't have it in front of me, all the stuff that I've got going on, I overcommit because I'm like, oh yeah, I've got time. And then you know a month later shows up and I'm like, oh crap, I don't have time for this. And I didn't have time then. I don't know why I said yes a month ago. You mentioned you do this, doing this stuff with your, your wife. I imagine families could benefit a lot from a GTD methodology because the modern family is just crazy. Like you got three kids going to different things all at different times. How do, what does a GTD system look like with like a couple or within a family? Have you seen that play out? Oh, hugely. Oh, with families, it's huge. I've got a lot of families that do family week through reviews. Sit down and look at the kids' schedule for the next week. What's coming up? Look at your spouse's schedule. Look at your partner's schedule. But hey, what's coming up? What do I need to know about that? What you, how can I help? You know, what do I need to do? My God, the lack of those conversations creates some of the strangest stress out there in those relationships. You know, you didn't tell me. Well, I thought were you going to pick up the kids? I thought I was. You know, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. You know. And so, yes, any kind of sharing of commitments in terms of groups and teams and so forth, what do we all need to be aware of? Not only that, just proactively, if you've got a family and say, hey, we're, we're having a holiday coming up, let's sit down and have a brainstorming. What do we all want to do? What's, are we taking care of everything we might want to see? Well, hey, kids, what do you want to do with it? You know, let's, well, let's go surf the web and see what you might want to do. You know, yada, yada. Those are great conversations that you won't have unless some part of you sits down and says, hey, I got a project called Next Holiday. Wonderful. Next action. You know, God, I ought to check with my family and see what they want to do. Make sure we're all on the same page. What What does, so you say someone starts doing this, what does GTD mastery look like? Does it just become second nature where you don't really have to think about the process and you just do it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, my wife took a seminar for me 35 years ago. You know, and so people ask me about her system. I go, I have no idea. I just know where her in-basket is and I know how to email her. That's all I need to know. She handles it from there. It's great because she's sitting in the other room right now. I could email her right now because I don't want to disturb her. She's doing some work. She's doing stuff she's involved in. She'll see it in her own timing. We trust our own systems and our own integrity to be able to deal with these things in that way. Man, does that move you up the food chain (laughs) in terms of relationships? Because a lot of what screws up relationships are those kind of strangely mundane but still meaningful things that are not handled really well. And the communication, you know, just fall through a crack. And then, then you have all the issues and conflicts and stresses that show up because of that. So, yeah, it's great stuff when, you know, for, see, once anyone gets GTD, gets this stuff, it's going to, it's going to affect every one of your intersections. You know, Brett, how many people and do you intersect with? 
on a daily or weekly basis. Lots of people. And every one of those intersections, when you get off that phone or you get off that conversation and you go, I'm tracking what we just decided, what I've agreed to, what they've agreed to that I need to keep track of or whatever, that just moves all that up the food chain. And those people, whether they get GTD or not, are going to find that out. When you come back and say, by the way, we talked on Tuesday. You said you get this by Friday. I don't have it yet. Do you need some help? Do we need to renegotiate? They're going to go, oh, my God, Brett actually cares about this and tracks it. And boy, does that make a difference you know, from then on in your relationship? And I imagine the end goal too, as we've been talking about it, once you get this thing going, you flex those cognitive muscles to clarify your task and, and get them in a system is that, yeah, you feel present. Like you can actually, you can be at your kid's soccer game and just think about your kid's soccer game and nothing else, which is yeah. a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea is like clear space. And so people ask me, well, what should I do with this? I say, what do you need to do to get that off your mind? I have a very simple question back. What do you need to do to get that off your mind? What do you need to do to get that off your mind? What do you need to do to get that off your mind? And I just figured out the algorithm about what they need to decide and think about and how they need to organize that so it does get off their mind. Most people don't have a clue, frankly, about what they need to do. But that was, you know, that was the elegance of GTD. That it is. Figured that out. Well, David, where can people go to learn more about the the work? And I guess you have a new book coming out, a workbook as well. Yeah, we do. Well, gettingthingsdone.com is our website. And now we're being, you know, our trainings, we've certified master trainers and coaches in 70 countries. So you can go to the, wherever you are in the world, you're listening to this, you can you can go to our website and see how you could get a, a training, which is really good to do. You can obviously, you know, obviously you can get my book, the new edition of getting things done, you know, has all this in there you know, and, and how to do all that. And yeah, there is a new, we, we, you know, if you get the book, getting things done, it may be a little daunting for a lot of people. Cause I just accumulated 25 years of my professional work or 30 years of my professional work and put it into a manual. And so, a lot of people, it does tell you how to implement all this stuff with a lot of detail and, and, and cool stuff about it. But a lot of people feel a little daunted, you know, or overwhelmed by that. So we decided let's create a workbook that sort of lower the barrier of entry for people to be able to say, look, here are the 10 moves that are easy to do. If you do them, you'll start to implement these five steps, you know, of, of capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage, you know, in, in, a, in a very simple and easy way to start to do that. So that's why we figured it was probably a good idea to, to do a, a workbook. And we've got QR codes in there. If you've got an iPhone or a phone that recognizes the QR codes, you can read a little thing and you know do a little exercise, and then you can pump on the QR code, and you'll see me talk for two or three minutes about what that actually is and what it feels and looks like. So, so it's cool. We're, we're, we feel proud of that. Well, fantastic. Well, David Allen, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Brett, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. My guest today was David Allen. He's the author of the book, Getting Things Done. Check out the new workbook that's out that accompanies the book. It's called the Getting Things Done Workbook, both available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at his website, gettingthingsdone.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash gtd, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic.
Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives. There's over 500 episodes there as well as thousands of articles on things like productivity, getting things done. I write about there as well. Also, if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS for a month free trial. When you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you would think will get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action. 